Welcome to the Rocky Messages Podcast. Rocky is a gathering of people that want to know Jesus and love like Him. If you hear something today that you'd like to know more about, you should check out our other podcast, Rocky Unscripted, where we take a topic and through conversation and study, we go a little bit deeper. And right now, let's join today's message. Amen. Good morning, church. Anybody excited for Christmas this year? You getting there? We are 22 days away from Christmas. If you haven't started your Christmas shopping, now's a good time, okay? We're about three weeks away, and we, we have officially entered a, a season that, that we call Advent. This is the four weeks before uh, Christmas morning, and this is a season that Christians all over the world, billions of people all over the world, we, we tend to slow down and, and begin to kind of internalize a little bit the, the full meaning of Christmas. And we, 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 we pause and we talk about some topics like love, joy, peace. And today we're going to be talking about this, this idea of hope. There's so much goodness that comes from Christmas. And there's just something, you know this, it doesn't even matter if you're a Christian or not. There's, there's just something about Christmas or the Christmas season. It just gives off a, a different vibe, even more so than some of the other holidays that we, we celebrate throughout the year. There's something about this season. There's something about Christmas that offers us something that potentially no, no other holiday does. It, it gives us this idea of hope. And so billions of Christians around the world over the next couple of weeks are, are anticipating and awaiting this message of Christmas again. They're, 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 they know the story already. Jesus has already come, but they're reliving it as if it's about to happen for the very first time time hope and and the tension with hope and the tension with christmas is this is is even though christmas offers us hope we we know the reality of life that we live in a hopelessly broken world don't we it's this tension followers of jesus that have the opportunity to be hopeful and yet we live in a hopelessly broken world i mean you know things aren't exactly going well just watch the news this week i mean you're never really encouraged when you're kind of seeing all the stories and narratives that are happening around the world we we are hopeful people and yet we are surrounded by stories that seem to be lacking hope and so here's what i want to do this morning i want to talk about the topic of hope and and how christmas offers you something that really nothing else does when it comes to hope Hope is incredibly powerful. It's a, I would call it, it's a, it's a super power, especially for people of faith, because it is the feeling of anticipating a future that is better than the present. It's a, it's a major topic and in the Bible. And when you actually go back to the Old Testament, there's, there's two main Hebrew words that are translated as hope. The, the, the first word is, is, uh, is, is called yakal, and it's got a little ah in it, okay, which I'm not very good at, but it's just yakal is, is the word for, for hope there. It reminds me of, of when you Bronco fans, any Bronco fans in the room? Yeah. Hey, thanks for coming to church instead of watching Broncos. Um, Imagine when the Bronco fans were waiting for like 20 years to beat the Chiefs. Remember that? You, what, what the Hebrew word for you call would be is this idea of we are waiting for something. We know this isn't good. We know we shouldn't be losing every single game to the Chiefs every season. And so we are going to you call. We are waiting for something. We, we, we know this isn't where we're supposed to be. We know there's something better. That's the first Old Testament word. The second Hebrew word in the Old Testament is this word kavah. 
Now this goes a little bit deeper down, down the road of, of waiting, and kava means to wait, but it, it brings a, a little bit more. It, it reminds me of, of maybe when you were growing up and, and you were going to elementary school and you go out to recess if, or in gym class if you ever played, uh, played a game of tug-of-war. Kava says this, that there's, there's now tension in the midst of hoping for something more. You're waiting, you're, you're watching this tug-of-war game happening, and and you don't quite know how it's going to go. You don't know which side is going to win, and, but you see the tension. You see that the, that the cord or the robe, that there's tension in it. And so now you're waiting to see what's going to happen in the midst of tension. And so this idea of hope is, is really, you could define it as hope is waiting in the midst of tension. Kava. We, we know something is going to happen. We just don't know exactly what's going to happen. And so the hope of Christmas is, is actually a waiting game, which is kind of funny because, and I don't know if you know this, um, we are not very good at waiting for Christmas. And I'm not even talking about your kids that are going to be struggling in the next 23 day, you know, 22 days for, for, for Christmas morning and they want to open up their presents because they're so excited. I'm not even talking about the kids and, and their tension and waiting. I'm talking about, you know, peeps in the room. I'm talking about you Christmas music playing, tree decorating, cookie baking, light hanging before we even take a bite of turkey people. That's what I'm talking to. You know what I mean? I've been called a Scrooge in my house this Christmas season, but I'm just trying to enjoy candy on Halloween and not sing joy to the world. You know what I mean? They're like, Dad, why do you hate Christmas? I don't hate Christmas. I'm trying to enjoy some of these other holidays that are happening. We're going to get to Christmas. But in my lifetime, I would say this. I mean, every year, I mean, you see the like Halloween decor. Halloween ends, and it seems like the very next day Christmas is up. I mean, the gap between, you know, Halloween and, and Christmas, we've totally forgot about Thanksgiving. Half of you don't even eat turkey anymore. I mean, it's just like, what is happening? There's something in us that is drawn to this season of the year. And I was thinking this week, why, why do we feel so compelled to rush into this, this particular holiday earlier and earlier? Why do we have to get to it so so soon. And, and I think, here's what I think. I think the reason that many of us begin to celebrate Christmas so early is because, and, and then here's the reality of life, we, we live in, in a very troubled and unsettling world. And there's some aura, there's some mystery that comes along with Christmas. It just kind of soothes us a little bit. It distracts us a little bit. I mean, the world is filled with Wars and rumors of wars and pandemics and economic tensions and relational disputes. I mean, we could go through a list of things that are very real in our world that are not good. Crime and murder and drugs and alcoholism and rape and immorality and greed and dishonesty and political corruption. It would feel as though many of those things are running rampant. Then I think, you know, people begin to look to Christmas as an escape from those tensions of life because you know this is so easy to lose yourself in the glitter of the christmas season i mean the christmas season is awesome and i'm all in by the way i i really enjoy christmas um but but for a time in the christmas season your your world can be a make-believe wonderland you can kind of step out of reality and get into the christmas season because th this season is filled with parties and food and drink and lights and decorations and presents and trees but here's the deal 
And here's the trap, if we're not careful, that, that this Christmas season, it will come to an end. Christmas is in 22 days, but in 23 days, guys, and I you know, don't want to be a Debbie Downer, Christmas is going to be over. It will come to an end. And in fact, the ending of this, of this season, this is interesting, we don't experience this in any other holiday, but there's actually been a, psycholog- you know, a psychological term that, that we have named of why people feel so down after Christmas. You know what we call this? The Christmas blues. What is it that we get so amped up for this season and then we get through Christmas morning and then over the next couple of days, for most of us, some of you refuse, you don't even take your tree down until April, but for most of us, we start taking Christmas down. All this anticipation, you know, all this energy, and you know this, right? And then in a moment, it's gone. Parents, you spend so much time, so much energy, so much money creating this, you know, the most magical Christmas morning, and your kids will rip through that in 10 minutes, and then it's done. And then all of a sudden, we move on, and the reality that the Christmas season is over, and the real world is calling us again, filled with all its worries and anxieties and and fears. But if you put your hope in, into all these amazing things that, that Christmas is, but you miss out on the most important thing, then you potentially, again this year, will find yourself with the Christmas blues. But I'm telling you, Christmas offers you something that is amazing. It's this idea of hope. And we tend not to think about hope a whole lot. I mean, I mean, just think about this. When you were born, right, you automatically began dealing in hope because your hope for your future was, was, had everything to do with your parents' willingness to, to care you know, for you. It wasn't a conscious decision. You, didn't, you, know, you weren't born and going, where should I put my hope? It just happened. It just naturally happens. You are hoping that the people who made you will take care of you. And then as you get older, you begin to move your hope. All of a sudden, you begin to have decisions to make about where to place your hope. And you begin to place your hope, you know, for future things. And, and so you, you've got some hope, and so you put in some education or some sports or relationships or money. But you may not even realize it, but you, you are trying to, to help out your future by placing your hope in certain things. But you know this, doesn't matter if you're a Christian or not. When you put your hope in those things, none of those things will ever fully satisfy. Which is why it doesn't even matter if you're a Christian or not this morning, that in the context of this discussion, we have all had moments in our lives where we put our hope into something but it fell short. And as a pastor, here's what I've seen. The only time we ever think about hope is when we begin to feel hopeless. And hopelessness is the realization that we have put our hope in the wrong place. I had hoped that this relationship, that this purchase, that this move, that this job, that this income, that this gift is going to make my life better that it was going to solve all my problems, that it was going to relieve my tensions, and yet it falls short again. Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament, and he writes a letter to this guy named Timothy, and he talks about one of the biggest hope traps, a place where a lot of us will tend to put our hope, and yet it will never fully satisfy. Here's what he says, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17. Paul goes, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, 
which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. So Paul knows, and we know, rich people have a tendency to put their hope in their stuff, and Paul says you shouldn't do it. It's an easy trap to fall into because money will will sell you on, on the idea that if you have enough of it, you'll be safe, you will be secure. That is all you need. But friends, we know that isn't true. We live in a hopelessly broken world. And you can try and you can be careful and you can plan and you can invest well and you can get a great education. But at some point in your life, you will begin to realize that nothing, and I mean nothing, not even money, is secure in this world. So God steps into the conversation of hope and Paul steps into the conversation of hope and many other you know, writers in the Bible step into the conversation of hope and this isn't gonna be a shock to you, but do you know where God thinks you should put your hope? In him. God leans in, he goes, look, of all the decisions you get to make in your life, of where you place your hope, there's only one place that will fully satisfy. Psalm 33 verse 22 says, may your unfailing love be with us, Lord, even as we put our hope in you. Followers of Jesus are instructed to put their hope in God and throughout the scriptures, we are reminded over and over and over again that we have a choice when it comes to where we place our hope. And the encouragement and the reminder of Christmas is that God is the best place to put your hope because God owns the market on hope. He owns it. When you read the stories in the Bible, you quickly realize that in almost every case, what people are waiting for, what they're hoping for, is God. Christmas reminds us that our hope is not in God, and this is a, a tough truth to hear sometimes, but if our hope is not in God, then either we move it or we lose it. Either we move it or we Lose it. So if your Bibles, Romans chapter 8, we're going to hang out for a couple of minutes this morning. Paul has an amazing discussion about hope. He actually, he goes back uh, to the beginning, the origin story of creation, before he gets into his reasoning about why he thinks you should put your hope in God. So Paul goes all the way back to the beginning, he goes back to the book of Genesis, and he talks about why we live in a hopelessly broken world. He goes back to the story of Adam and Eve in the garden, and he says, look, Adam and Eve were created, and then they messed up, they disobeyed God, and, and he calls this the fall of man. God created, everything was perfect, everything was going awesome, but then man decided to disobey God, and now sin has entered the world. Now, if you're not a Christian this morning, you may not be on board with this idea of sin, but, but come on, you get this, that there is evil in the world. There are things happening that you're going, why is that happening? I wish that wasn't happening. We, we know there's, there's bad things that are happening. And Paul would lean in and he would say, yeah, yeah, that is the consequence or that is the result of the fall of man. Sin entered the world. And a lot of us think that sin is just this isolated act. You get to make decisions today. You get to choose your words today. And the truth is that, and the reality is we're not gonna get all those things right. And a lot of us think that when we mess up in this one isolated moment, that is sin. And that is surely disobedience to God. But when God talks about sin, it's even bigger than that. It's a little bit grander than that. Every, God would say in the context of sin that everything in the world has been impacted by sin. 
God would say sin is like a disease. It's, it's touched all creation and it's fatal, which means according to Genesis, everything that's living eventually dies. You know that. You've seen that. You've experienced that. All of us have been to a funeral. We, we are very aware that living things die. Everything living eventually dies. And Paul is about to say that the reason everything in the world dies is because sin, like a disease, has polluted and corrupted everything that is living. And this is the foundation. This is the base that he's going to jump off of and try to encourage you that in light of sin that has corrupted the world, has created a hopelessly broken world. He's saying in the midst of this kind of sin pandemic, he's going to encourage you that you have a choice of where you put your hope and you should put your hope in God. Here's what he says, Romans chapter eight, verse 20. For the creation, again, going back to the book of Genesis, was subjected to frustration. Sin entered in and now we're frustrated. The reason why life is so frustrating is because sin entered the world. And here's the truth of it. God has made the decision to allow sin to run its course. This is so helpful, and I I know this is a hard truth to kind of lean into, but a lot of times, Christian or not, we look at the world and we see really what is the fall of man, the consequence of sin, and we keep looking at God. We go, God, why? Why, 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 why? Why would you? Why would you? Why would you? Why would you? God, if you love us, then why would you? Why would you? Why would you? And there's so, I'm telling you, there's some relief in this truth that says the reason why is because God is allowing sin to run its course. It wasn't originally designed to be like this. God created and then creation felt the frustration of its disobedience. And sin, like a disease, has now affected every living thing. And I'm just telling you, if you can live within that truth and that reality, it will bring some relief to the tensions of the world. He keeps going, verse 20, for the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice. God did not hit the play button on this, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself, so now will be, this is a future term here, will be liberated. We are looking towards the future, liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. So here's what Paul says. The created world itself is, 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 is can't wait. It's groaning for what's coming next because everything in creation is being held back due to being in the bondage of decay. Merry Christmas. I mean, aren't you glad you're here this morning? <laughs> and you know that's true. Every living thing, Paul says, is in bondage to decay. All of us are going in the wrong direction. We will not live forever because of the fall of man and sin entering into the world and the bondage in which now we are under. You know that's true. Old people, where are you at this morning? Come on, make some noise. Old people. Heck yeah. Things have changed, haven't they? You're not 20 anymore. You look in the mirror, right? And you go, what happened? Paul would say, bondage, you're in bondage. 
You're in bondage to decay. You are heading towards death. We are all headed towards death. Things are changing. What is that? That's the fall of man. That is the, the consequence of sin. Look, in a couple of months, I turn 40, okay? I turn 40. Things are changing in my life. Things are changing. A couple of months ago, I was at a conference in Nashville, big old convention center. I'm with our leadership team. We're walking around for four days. And about day two and a half, my foot starts hurting. And I mean really hurting. And I get up on day three, and I, I, felt, I feel like my foot is broken. And I actually said to some other people on our team, I think I broke my foot. Like I can't walk, I cannot walk. I had this incredible limp. I, I couldn't even fake it. I mean, I was in so much pain and I tried to take an easy on it. I couldn't, I just couldn't figure out what was going on. I, I get back to, I get back home and we've got a couple of doctors who are in our church. And so I just had texted them and said, dude, this is what's happening. I don't know what's going on. And they said, you've got plantar fasciitis. And I said, well, what's that? And they say, you're just getting old, brother. <laughs> what do I do? How do you fix it? Give me some medicine. They said, no, 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 no. You got to stretch. Like, when you get up in the morning before you walk, now you got to stretch. And you can only wear certain shoes. And you got to get inserts. And I'm just going, what is this? I've never had to worry about walking before. I've never had to think about what shoes I'm going to wear. And now all of a sudden, you're telling me this is my life, you know? Half my shoes I can't wear because they don't have the correct support. What is going on? I've never had to think about shoes my entire life. And Paul would lean in. You know what he'd say? Dude, you're in bondage to decay. You're breaking down, brother. It is, listen, and here's the truth of it. And as rich people, we try to fool ourselves. We try to go, no, 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 not us. Not me. No, 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 no. You know, because we got money. We can fix this. We can fix this, right? And so listen, you can take all the vitamins you want. You can eat all the lettuce you want. You can pound fiber and vitamin C. You can have as many surgeries you can afford. You can lift weights every morning. You can run all the races and your body, again, Merry Christmas, will still decay. It will still decay. You can do it all right. You can play it all right. You can be the nicest, most generous, patient, loving person on this planet, and your body will still decay. Why? Paul goes, because you're in bondage. And it's frustrating, isn't it? It's frustrating that all living things die. And you go, whoa, Matt, come on, where's the Christmas cheer? We'll get to that in a second. But before you can experience the fullness of the hope and joy that Christmas offers, you've got to sit in the reality and the tension we all live in a hopelessly broken world that is not going in the right direction. I get around people sometimes, they go, things are going to get better. No, they're not. No, they're not. All living things die. And yet there's something in us when it comes to our hope where we think we can beat the odds, you know? We believe that if we can be careful enough or slick enough or cool enough or distracted enough in this Christmas season, we'll figure it out. And Paul says there's no way. There's no way to get outside of the bondage. 
And here's the deal. I'm not all doom and gloom. There's amazing things of, of life that are happening in your life and, and mine. We, we get to experience amazing birthday celebrations. We can go on great vacations. We can get engaged. We can go on honeymoons. We can have kids. We can have amazing jobs. We can make money. And we get to enjoy this Christmas season. There's some highlights and mountaintop experiences. But you just got to know this. The movement and the momentum is going in the other way because Paul says we're in bondage and it's frustrating. It's frustrating. If you're here this morning and you're frustrated with life, all that means is you have a pulse. Because everybody in everything is frustrated and in pain because of the bondage of decay. And it's a harsh reality. And yet the good news, I think this is good news, the good news is that we're all in this together. All of us. All of us are living in this, in this truth. Reminds me of a quote from one of the great theologians of our day, Ellen Griswold, who said this, I don't know what to say except it's Christmas and we're all in misery. There's a little truth to that. It's frustrating, isn't it? There's moments in life where it's frustrating. There's moments we don't get why things are happening the way they're happening. And Paul leans in, he goes, I get it. I get the tension. I get the tension of a believing in God and yet living in a world that is not filled with hope. Paul gets it. Look what he says, verse 22. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. He uses this kind of metaphor of, of a pregnant woman going, you know, ladies, you know, if you've, if you've had children, there is an incredible amount of pain that ultimately will lead you to something incredible something beautiful. There is a, a baby that is coming, and yet in order to receive it, you groan with pain. Nobody's having fun. Paul goes, the, the creation is, is, is almost like it's in labor. It is, it is awaiting something. It knows there's something better that's coming, and it's groaning. It is, it is eager to receive it. Verse 23, not only so, but we ourselves, we have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. Paul goes, this tension creates in us the thought, right? That there's got to be something better. There's got to be something more. This just can't be it. It can't be labor for the sake of labor, and here's the truth about Christmas. When Christmas and the story of Christmas begins to come into the midst of our pain and frustration, if you will let it, Christmas will lead you to a place where you can put your hope. Our pain and frustration is a reminder that we have a choice to make when it comes to our hope. That's why Paul says, verse 24, for in this hope we were saved but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? So what's the hope exactly, Paul? That there's more to this life than this life. That's the hope. That there is a day coming when we won't always be frustrated. Verse 25, but if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it. And what's the next word? Patiently. Ugh. God, I want it now. Paul goes, no, sin is running its course and we're in bondage to the consequences of sin. But our hope, if you choose, you can place your hope in a place where it can fully satisfy. And in the midst of being satisfied with your hope, now you wait patiently. And do you know who has a hard time being patient? 
kids and rich people. It's just true. We have an incredible hard time being patient. Paul goes, if we put our hope in God and we wait patiently, Jesus will make this thing right. You know why Christmas is awesome? It's not just because of eggnog. Eggnog is awesome, but it's more than that. Christmas is awesome because Christmas, it reminds us, those of us who who are followers of Jesus, it reminds us that our hope is based on a person which makes it different than optimism. See, optimism is about choosing to see in any situation how circumstances could work out for the best, but Christian hope is not focused on circumstance. I don't know if you've read any of your New Testament, you know, the New Testament part in your Bible, but we have all these New Testament characters who, <laughs> who are living in the midst of, midst of incredibly difficult times, and they are not looking into their circumstances for hope. In fact, when you read it, they almost are saying it's getting worse. Paul and, and, and Peter, the you know, first local pastor of the first local church in the book of Acts, they begin leaning into the early church because this is a natural tension. You start looking around at your circumstances and you're going, why is this happening? Why is this happening to me? Why is this happening to other people? And Paul begins to lean in and he's reminding them, no, 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 no. Your hope is not in your circumstances. Your hope is not in your health or your wealth or any of the other relationships in your life. Your hope is found not in circumstances, but a person, and his name is Jesus. This is the early reminder of, for the early church who, who goes through incredible seasons of, of martyrdom, who people are losing their life because they refuse to rebuke knowing Jesus. And family members are watching their loved ones being murdered. And Christians begin to look around and go, what, what is this? And Paul reminds him, no, 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 don't forget, your hope is not found in your circumstances. Guys, this is going to get worse before it gets better. Your hope is in Jesus. They live incredibly difficult lives, and yet they still choose hope. Why? Here's what I think. This is the power of Christmas, because 2,000 years ago, there's some shepherds that are hanging out outside of Bethlehem. These are people in that day and age who have very little influence, very poor people. They're sitting around the campfire one night, and, and the story goes that all of a sudden, you know, they're sharing campfire stories. All of a sudden, angels show up, and they bring a message, and they, these shepherds, they see and hear something that will change the game forever. Luke chapter 2, verse 10, it says this, But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. That's the mantra for angels. I bring you good news. I bring you good news that will cause great joy. Why do they need joy? Why do they need some good news? Here's why. Because even 2,000 years ago, they were living in a hopelessly broken world. Verse 11, today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. And Christmas hit play. God caused a Savior God called his son to be born into the world, and his name is Jesus, and he was the promised Messiah, and now he is entering into the groans and frustration of creation. And God begins to restore. 
And he starts with his relationship with you and to me. And there is something about this truth that offers you hope. That if you would choose it and to place your hope in the truth of this story, that unlike the majority of the world 23 days from now when Christmas is over, you could experience something different. In the New Testament, they, they worked really hard. The early church worked really hard to remind themselves and to cultivate hope for the sake of what they believed and the truth of the reality in which the circumstances that they lived. And the hope story starts with the story of Christmas. This little baby who was born, who apparently was the son of God. It's an incredible story. It's hard to believe. But God would send his son in the form of a baby down to this earth. And the reason why this baby was sent, this is what God would say, is because creation was groaning and had found itself in the midst of the bondage of decay. Before you can experience the joy of Christmas, you've got to feel the tension of it. I tend to be a little screwed sometimes when it comes to some of our Christmas carols because half of them are not reality. The truth is, is that things were not going well. And God's people had been waiting for hundreds of years. All was not calm. It was not bright. In fact, that first Christmas, when Jesus is born, when he enters into the frustration that you and I live in today, one of the leaders at the time who was so insecure about his own leadership heard the rumor about a potential king being born and he begins killing babies. Hundreds and thousands of babies. The bondage of decay. A disease called sin running rampant. And Jesus enters in the midst of it and it was not going well and this little baby will grow up into his middle school and high school years and he begins preaching a gospel he begins saying things that nobody had ever heard before he turns 30 and his message for the world was he had the power and authority to offer the forgiveness of sin nobody had ever backed up that claim. And here's the crazy part, because we all have a decision about where to put our hope. People begin putting their hope in a person. Living in the frustration and the bondage of decay, there's a guy all of a sudden saying, I can take care of that if you will put your hope in me. And hundreds and thousands of people begin the repentance of their sins and following Jesus, being baptized. They bank their whole life on who he is. And then there was a twist. 
that apparently, even though Jesus talked about, nobody really understood 2,000 years ago. But people who had placed their hope in a person, in the savior of the world, this baby who was born, is nailed to a Roman cross. And all of a sudden, hope was lost. We know this story. We have a, some of the stories of some of the disciples who are walking away from Jesus' crucifixion. He's died and he's been put in the grave. We have these two disciples. They're walking to another town called Emmaus. And Jesus, because he's very sneaky, he's come back from the dead and he appears to these two, but these two do not know it's Jesus. And these two are experiencing what I would call the Easter blues. They're dealing with the tension that the guy who they put their hope in is dead. And Jesus leans in, he goes, why are you guys so depressed? You know what they say? You didn't hear? What happened? Well, there was this guy who claimed to be the son of God who preached the forgiveness of sins, but he died. And here's what they say. We had hoped he was the one. We banked it all on him. Life is frustrating. We're in bondage. And this guy said he could take care of it, but he's dead. We had hoped. And then all of a sudden, three days later, later, the tomb is empty. And the hope potentially now can be seen by the entire world. This is the reality in which we live, a hopelessly broken world in bondage of decay. Sin is running its course. And yet here's this movement started by a guy who claimed he had the solution, who died and came back from the dead. For those of us who have received that truth and have placed our hope in him, Paul says, don't you give up. Mm -mm. Our hope is too good. Yes, the world groans. Yes, it's frustrating. Yes, all living things die. But our hope is not found in this world. It is found in the one who defeated death once and for all. And the origin story, friends, is Christmas. And I don't know if you see it, but you should. You should take another look. If you're here this morning and you don't believe in God, you should take a look at Christmas. You just might see a baby, but those of us of faith, we see the hope of the world. That's changed my life and many of yours. And it offers you something that I promise you, you will not find anywhere else outside of the one who claims to be the son of God. Let me pray for you. Father, this morning, we're very mindful of the tensions of this life. All of us have moments of frustration. All of us have been to a funeral. We've been reminded again this year that life is not fair. And so we thank you that Christmas offers us 
an opportunity to put our hope into somebody that could actually do something about it. So for those of us of faith this morning, we, we worship you again. Thank you. Thank you for bringing relief. We know there's a day coming. There is no more sin. There is no more death. There is no more frustration. We know there's a day coming that is far better than today. And so may we hear the words of Paul. We eagerly kavah this morning. We feel the tension, but we know the truth that one day Jesus is coming back and he will make all things right. So in the meantime, may we be people who believe what we read and believe what we hear and believe what we see. A baby who offered us something that nobody else could. We love you. We love you. We thank you for Jesus. And it's in his name we pray.